Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, psychologist Joy Harden Bradford says when black women convene, there is a quote, cadence and rhythm to our gatherings, a natural sisterhood that breeds openness. That observation underlies Bradford's approach to group therapy, which she says sparks breakthroughs and healing that often don't happen as quickly in individual sessions. We talked to Bradford about what makes for a successful therapeutic community and why elements like humor, intuitiveness, and rhythm generate healing in black women's spaces. Bradford's new book is Sisterhood Heals. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. When psychologist Dr. Joy Harden Bradford started Therapy for Black Girls about 10 years ago, it was at first a blog where she shared posts on mental health topics for black women whom she says were largely ignored by the wellness industry. She was not prepared for the outpouring of black women drawn in. Now Therapy for Black Girls is a community of more than 700,000, and it's the name of Bradford's weekly podcast helping listeners navigate personal relationships, professional challenges, conflicts, and more. Bradford has a new book, Sisterhood Heals, The Transformative Power of Healing in Community. It's all about the benefits of group therapy and how to engage in it honestly, productively, and lovingly. Welcome to Forum, Dr. Joy. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> really glad to have you. You write that when, when you think about the current work of therapy for Black girls, that you conceptually view it as one long-standing, gigantic <laughs> group. So how so? What are some of its attributes? Yeah, so it feels like that's a bit of a funny analogy, right? But um, especially with that many people, but I am kind of always tuned into like what's happening in the larger circle, the larger community of therapy for black girls. So I'm paying attention to what kinds of things our community members are watching or reading, um, what kinds of things are bubbling under the surface, what's happening in the news that really impacts black women. And I'm attuned to like how they may be perceiving all of this and how this is impacting their mental health. And so we are all Ways looking for ways to bring those those topics into the blog, into our podcast episodes, and onto the things that we share on social media. Rather than group therapy in pop culture, we often see individual therapy sessions. Someone on a couch talking to uh, a therapist, or maybe a couple talking to a therapist. And you wish that we'd see more often group therapy sessions. 
why? You do both types, but, but what are sort of the key differences between group therapy and individual therapy, both in terms of what you've observed as outcomes and in practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, and I talk about in the book that it feels like there are breakthroughs that happen pretty quickly in a group that it would take a very long time to happen in individual. And I think that that's just because there are more like opportunities for you to be projected on by other members in a group, right? So let's say, for example, you are somebody who struggles with assertiveness. That likely will come up at some point in individual therapy, but in a group setting, there's very likely going to be somebody who like pulls that out of you. Either they are somebody who is like taking up a lot of space and it rubs you the wrong way. And then the group therapist has an opportunity to talk to you about like, hey, I noticed you shifted in your chair when so-and-so made a comment. Um, And so, yeah, so there's just so many more dynamics to at play in a room with a group of people that with one person, you eventually will get to it. But within a group of, you know, six to eight people, it typically happens much quicker. So what do you think are the elements that are particularly important for Black women in group therapy? You, You cited the work of Dr. Irvin Yalom, who talked about sort of the curative factors of group therapy. But I love the fact that you also noted there were others that he didn't account for. What Mm -hmm. are some of those? Yeah, so I think especially in my work with Black women, I have noticed that there are these additional factors that really seem to play a factor in what healing looks like. Um, And one of those is humor. And so, you know, in the Black community, you will often hear people talk about, like, even in some of the darkest moments, like, we will still be getting our jokes off, so (laughs) to speak. And so, and, and that really kind of relates to people kind of being able to kind of, I think, regulate their emotions with humor. Um, And sometimes I think people see that as a way of distancing, but I think in the Black community especially, that is often a way that people are unified, like, through laughing and, and joking about things. And so, so humor is one of those things that I think is is particular. I also think there is a rhythm that often happens when Black women gather. So it, it feels like there is a, a way that people are kind of paying attention to like who's speaking and who's not. Um, also really paying attention to nonverbals that are being shared and that often being able to communicate much more than even words do. And I also think that there is an intuitiveness that happens when Black women gather, again, kind of a reading of the room and, you know, just an understanding of like what kinds of things are not being said. And then somebody typically taking the chance to bring that into the room and opening up the conversation much larger. What are the possibility models you talk about? Yeah, so I think a lot of times what happens is that we don't know what we don't know. And it is only in our interaction with other people that we realize like, oh, I didn't even think that this was an option. And so the other thing that I think happens when Black women gather is that we do serve for possi- serve as possibility models for one another. And I talk about the fact that in a recent conversation, um, Three for Thursday is an opportunity in the Therapy for Black Girls community where we all get on a Zoom and talk about whatever the topic is for the week. And in one conversation, there was a a sister in Brooklyn, I believe, who talked about the fact that her and her family have a brownstone and that she kind of lives on one side of the brownstone and her husband lives on a different side and they have like shared um, living room spaces and those kinds of things. And many people just didn't even consider that that was a way that you could organize your life if you decided to, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by possibility models is that in us sharing our stories with one another, it opens up possibilities for 
us to reimagine areas of our lives as well. We're talking with Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford about the benefits of healing in a group, the healing power of sisterhood. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. Have you participated in group therapy? Did it help you? What have you found is key to a good group dynamic? Or maybe you're a therapist, is what Joy Harden-Bradford is saying resonate with you in your own practice? Um, Or have you listened to Therapy for Black Girls and have thoughts or reactions you'd like to share? You can email them to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on social at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads. We're at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, So, Dr. Joy, you mentioned healing how how do you define healing? So healing, I think, is the opportunity or the, the option for something that has happened to us to become a part of our story, but not the focus of our story, right? So if something traumatic has happened in our past, a lot of times immediately afterwards is kind of all we can talk about. It is kind of where we are centrally focused. And healing means that there has been enough time, enough distance, enough work done so that that thing is still a part of your story, but it is not the center focus of your story. Does healing look different when it takes place in a group? I would say so. And I think, you know, for a lot of the the reasons we've already talked about, right? I think what often happens when we have difficult experiences is that there is often a lot of shame related to it, right? So we don't want to talk about this thing that has happened, or we feel like we are the only ones who are struggling with some particular thing. And only in community are we able to realize that there is no singular experience, no feeling or or emotion that we're having that somebody else has also not experienced. And it may not be related to the same thing, right? Like, so grief related to the loss of parents might not be the same as grief related to, you know, the loss of a promotion, but you can relate to the grief, right? And so the idea of healing in community is that you are not alone with anything and that there are lots of people who can really kind of rally around you with whatever you're experiencing. Your discussion of the the four S's in terms of talking about why, and especially for Black women, group therapy is such an important tool, I thought was really compelling. And one of those S's you said was it allows us to soften. What do you mean by soften? Yeah, so I think when we think about the ways that Black women often have to walk through the world, right, it feels like we are often wearing a lot of armor. So we are preparing ourselves to go into, you know, workplaces that may be hostile. Um, We are preparing to go into, you know, retail settings where we may be followed or discriminated against. Like, it just feels like in a lot of ways we are on guard. And I feel like in relationship with one another, in community with one another, we can relax some of that armor. We can put some of those things down because we know um, that we don't have to do that with one another. So I think it is really just an ability to relax and to practice being easeful with one another. I think one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is, yes, there are so many experiences that come with living in the systems that we navigate all the time. But you really do spend a lot of time also, and I think it's also because this is something you hear a lot, talking about strengthening, maintaining, enlivening, enriching relationships among sister friends. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how that played a role in you realizing that there was a real need for this book? 
So when I think about, you know, particularly where we have been in the past couple of years, kind of in the pandemic, and looking at what kinds of things really um, saved us in a lot of ways, it felt like it was a coming together that was really the key to people kind of making it to wherever we are in this stage of the pandemic. And I think that there was a need, you know, why I really wanted to focus the book on sisterhood is a really a need to galvanize that and to talk about how we could do more of that in ways that are both big in terms of the pandemic, but also in smaller ways. And I think it is kind of historically like what Black women have always been doing, but I really wanted to give language to these things to really highlight the ways that I feel like Black women do really do an excellent job of supporting one another, but also to challenge us in ways that we could be doing better. Um, You know, so I do a lot in the book in terms of like giving scripts for people to have some difficult conversations, because I think this is one area that I think a lot of us need a lot more work in is that we will often avoid very difficult, awkward conversations because we think that um, either it means that the relationship will end or the person like won't want to be friends with us anymore. But the truth is that we often will become closer to someone after we've been able to navigate a difficult conversation. And so I really want to encourage us not to ghost people in our lives, but to really, you know, kind of practice using our words and engaging in conversations that can sometimes be difficult. Well, on that note, let me add as one of my questions to listeners, if you have had trouble or struggles in a sister friendship and what you found has helped you also if you've listened to therapy for black girls would love to hear your experience or impact have you participated in group therapy did it help you what have you found is key to a good group dynamic or finding healing in a group you can call us at 866-733-6786 you can email forum at kqed.org you can find us on social media at kqed forum we'll have more after the break i'm mina kim Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford about her new book, Sisterhood Heals, The Transformative Power of Healing in Community. Dr. Joy is a licensed clinical psychologist and host and founder of Therapy for Black Girls, a podcast and online community of hundreds of thousands. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation about your experiences of or questions about healing in community. And let me go to Jackie in Palo Alto. Hi, Jackie. You're on. Hey, hi, Mina. How are you? I hope you're doing well. Um, I am. And I can't wait to listen to the podcast. 
Um, I wanted to say I never thought I'd be a fan of group therapy, um, but I found myself contemplating divorce during the holidays a while back, and my therapist recommended a divorce group, and I was really hesitant and um, cried the first four times that I was in it. I cannot tell you how it transformed me. Um, at first, there were both men and women in it, and you learned so much that you didn't know that you needed to learn. But what I got the most out of it is that that softening that you were talking about happened to me where you could be really hard on yourself during one-on-one therapy, but listening to someone else's story humanizes things, and it that changed my life. And also being able to encourage others with what you're going through also helps you um, in ways that you never thought possible. So I really thank you for this um, this show because um, I'm sending it to all my friends. <laughs> well, well, Jackie, thanks. And that initial, you know, I, I never thought I would do this. I, I was unsure, right, about what the experience would be. How, how do you help people work through that, Dr. Joy? Yeah, I really appreciate that comment from Jackie. It it is so powerful. And I think what she's talking about is that I think for a lot of us, it's very overwhelming and intimidating to walk into a room of strangers and talk to them about some very private things, right? Um, And so, you know, I think most people would be a little hesitant. And I think a part of what our job is as therapists is to normalize that process and to let them know that it may be a little awkward. Um, You may want to sit quietly and it may be difficult, you know, for those first couple of sessions, but eventually, if you allow yourself to kind of get comfortable with the process, it's very likely that it can be a great experience. Um, the other thing that often happens, and like Jackie talked about, is that other group members will like see it as their responsibility to bring new members in, right? Because they understand what it was like for them to be the new person at one point. And so what you find is that the group tends to really do a good job of taking care of itself, especially when new members are joining. And I imagine the th- therapist and the skills of the therapist are really important too. I feel like a lot of group experiences that are really effective and powerful are in part because you have a really good therapist facilitator in that process. What what do you do to try to cultivate the kind of healing space that, that you're talking about? Yeah. So, you know, typically most groups have more than one facilitator um, because, again, it is a lot to pay attention to, especially as the numbers increase. Right. So most groups are facilitated typically by a pair of therapists. And sometimes there's also what's called a process observer, which is maybe a silent member of the group who really is just paying attention to like what's happening. And like, does somebody get uncomfortable in their seat when another member talks or is somebody being particularly quiet? But to your point, Nina, I do think that a lot of what we're doing as therapists, especially in group settings, is paying attention to what's not being said. Um, And so we, of course, are listening for the content, you know, like Jackie mentioned, like if we're talking about divorce, we, of course, are paying attention to who's saying what. We're also talking, we're also paying attention to the person who usually is very talkative, but all of a sudden doesn't have anything to say for this conversation. And we might check in about that, like, hey, I noticed you've been really quiet today. Is there anything that you want to offer. And so I think a lot of what we're doing is a part of what we're doing as group therapists um, is paying attention to what's not being said and to the, the dynamics, what's happening in the room as much as what's being said. 
Well, this listener writes, one of my favorite things about group therapy is the feeling of togetherness. One of the most healing moments in group therapy is when someone talks about one of their problems and you get to say, wow, me too, mm-hmm. and relate to someone on such an intimate and emotional level. Well, Dr. Dr., I'm wondering if, if you could take us into a session. In Sisterhood Heals, you create these composites of clients and sessions and, and you give one example of Tiana, um, who says that her problems have gotten so much bigger, so much greater, she's gotten older, and that she feels like her old friends can't really understand or support her. Can you walk us through how you handle that? Yeah, so, you know, in the case of Tiana, and again, this is a composite, so not about any particular <laughs> right, client. Right. <laughs> um but, you know, in, in the case of that, my first question would be, have you actually talked with your friends about how you're feeling? Because what I have found is that we will often create these like gigantic, fantastical stories in our heads that are not based in any reality, but we run with it. Right. And so what I typically encourage clients to do is to slow down in their thinking and in their talking and actually check in with people about what you're feeling. And so this idea that your problems are so much bigger in my my friends have outgrown me and they can't support me. Well, what what basis, do, what evidence do you have for holding on to that belief? And so can we talk with your friends about whether they are not able to support you? Or is it that you just haven't asked them to support you in some particular way? Or do they think that they're supporting you by, you know, maybe giving you money or helping you out in one other way, but what you really need is just somebody to listen? Because again, I think sometimes we create these stories, but we are at not actually checking in with the people in our lives to see if there's any truth to it. And along the same lines in terms of one of the focus areas of your book, which is how to really strengthen and maintain your sister friendships, you explore another scenario that you say you hear a lot, and this is the impact of life changes on friendships, that that you have been saddened but not surprised by how many times you hear the story of a friendship ending after somebody gets engaged or married or meets, you know, their partner. Um, how do you help people navigate that and and keep it sort of within the realm of the importance of, you know, your sister your sister friendships? Mm-hmm. You know, Mina, it's been interesting kind of coming fresh off the book tour, how often there were conversations about whether somebody like was newly engaged or was kind of a bride at some point and how many changes there were in the bridal party. And so many hands went up because I do feel like this is one of those areas that gets very, very sticky for for friendships. And what I think often happens is that if, you know, our dream is to have a long-term partner or be married at some point, and that hasn't happened for us, but it happens for somebody close to us in our circle, what ends up happening is that that reactivates any like early childhood wounds we have related to abandonment or not getting picked for the team or whatever rejection experiences we have had in early childhood, the idea that somebody else quote unquote gets picked before we do, it often reactivates that wound. And I don't think we always recognize that in real time. And so what ends up happening is that we're trying to be happy for our friend. We're trying to support them, but we end up acting out in often passive aggressive ways. So we either don't order our bridesmaids dress on time or we show up late for the bridal shower. Like it can show up in any number of ways. And so when I'm working with clients, 
what I'm typically helping them to understand is that this sense of jealousy or this sense of rejection that has gotten activated, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It is just your emotions giving you a message that there's something happening, right? So typically in this kind of situation, there's some unmet need that hasn't been fulfilled for you. So can we actually pay attention to that? Because it's not actually about not being happy for your friend. It really is about this unmet need that hasn't been taken care of for you. And so the work of therapy is really focusing on that unmet need so that you are not acting out in ways that can actually be very harmful for the friendship. And I bet in that group dynamic, when someone is sharing something like that and someone else says, I felt that way too, there's this sort of initial just sense of validation for the feeling itself, not saying that it's a good or bad thing to have, but that it it exists and it's valid to feel must be really powerful and, and help people then maybe to hear the advice or the, the therapy that you're giving them <laughs> around. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, you know, to our earlier conversation, like that is one of the powerful things that happens in group, you know, as somebody wrote in that just this idea that, wow, me too, like, oh, I thought nobody else felt this way. Like, it is so incredibly powerful to hear that somebody else relates to you or that they can understand where you're coming from, because then you don't have to like, carry this heavy burden alone. It is automatically lifted, I think, for a lot of people when they realize that other people understand and have maybe felt similarly to them. Yeah, or maybe even lift some sense of shame, I would, I yes. imagine, too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we've got Chris in San Francisco on the line. Chris, join us. You're on. Hi, uh, I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I not only facilitate a lot of groups, I attend group therapy, and I find it wonderfully beneficial. What groups are going to do for us is make therapy, which is prohibitively expensive for most people, uh, more accessible. And the fact is we simply don't have enough practitioners for Uh, I work specifically in substance use disorder treatment, and we have an absolute epidemic. So groups, uh, and and I want to reiterate what you were just saying, that uh, particularly in substance use disorder treatment, it's addressing the unmet need, that what people, they've got, uh, I think what I want is another drink, but what I really need is to learn emotional regulation. So it's really getting at unmet needs, which can be done even more effectively in groups than in individual therapy because you've got the social context. Hmm. Hmm. Well, well, Chris, thanks for sharing that. Dr. Joy, another listener was wondering, can you use group therapy as a standalone form of therapy, or should you couple it with one-on-one therapy? When you engage solely in group therapy, they write, do you ever lose out on some unique benefits of one-on-one therapy? 
This is such a great question. I honestly think, and I really appreciate Chris's commentary there as well. Um, yeah. I really think that group therapy is the gold standard for lots of different concerns. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people, they do like the combination of both group therapy and individual, but there is typically not a need to have both, right? Because if you are in a group that is working and it's reliable and consistent for you, that is often enough to meet the needs of whatever is bringing you into therapy. Um, you know, I think about something like social anxiety, right? Where I think about, you know, what better way to work through your anxiety related to social situations than to be in a group of people where you can practice your skills in real time. And so, you know, for a lot of people, they just enjoy the one-on-one experience of therapy, but for a lot of concerns, group therapy really is all that you will need. Well, let me go to caller Kevin in Berkeley. Hi, Kevin. Hi. Thank you so much for um, hosting this conversation. Um, so my experience with group therapy is a mixed bag, and I found that the composition of a group and the identity of a facilitator also really matters. So back when I was like living in the East Coast, um, I attended a queer men of color group therapy space for folks who have experienced violence. Um, and I thought that I felt so much more held and so much more understood when um, I attended a group that was really attuned to my identities and the identities of the group, and when I can identify with the person who's running the group. So um, for men, it's already hard to be in therapy to begin with and kind of like unpack those feelings. And so having those extra elements really helped me heal. Well, Kevin, thanks for sharing. I don't know, Dr. Joy, if you have any thoughts for Kevin, too. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Kevin. And what he's saying, again, I just want to normalize for people. That is why spaces like Therapy for Black Girls are so important. And what he's talking about in terms of a um, queer men of color group is because we know that it can be really difficult, I think, for people to even take that first step of talking with a therapist. And so what often makes that space more comfortable is to have some shared identity, um, whether that be in the way of additional participants or even in the facilitated themselves. And there's been lots of research that talks about like, how the identity of different group members impacts group response and, you know, even participation in group. And so, you know, groups can look lots of different ways, but what Kevin is talking about is something that I hear quite often is that people will often feel more comfortable and more held, as he talked about, um, in spaces where there is some sameness. Well, thanks, Kevin, for the call and for sharing that. Um, This listener writes, I think one of the most important aspects of group therapy is having a good facilitator. I've had a bad experience with group therapy where the facilitator wouldn't step in to keep us on track and would let folks diverge into way off topic discussions. Also, they wouldn't step in to hold certain folks accountable who would make offensive comments. We're talking with Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed clinical psychologist and host and founder of Therapy for Black Girls. Uh, And her new book is Sisterhood Heals, The Transformative Power of Healing in Community. It talks about the healing power of sisterhood, but also the benefits of healing in a group um, and, and what makes for a good group dynamic. And you can join the conversation with your questions or experiences of group therapy, whether as a therapist, what Dr. Joy is saying resonates with you. Uh, If you've listened to the podcast and would like to share any thoughts or reactions to that, you can email 
forum at kqed.org, call 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or threads at KQED Forum. You know, uh, these comments about, you know, a strong facilitator and or what made for a really positive or powerful group experience are, are making me think about the roles that people do play in a group. And you have observed these these personal dynamics that you've categorized, ones that you have seen in group therapy, the leader, the wallflower, and so on. Could you describe the roles that you have tended to see, especially in Black women groups? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I feel like, you know, most of us love kind of knowing more about ourselves. And so figuring out like, oh, what role do I play in a group felt like it was important to include in the book. Um, and so what you're talking about are the roles that I have observed. So most often in our friendship circles, we will play one of four roles. So the leader, the wallflower, the peacemaker, or the firecracker. And the leader is kind of what you would think the leader is right it is if there is a group outing or something they are typically the person who has organized it um the wallflower is the person in the group who often doesn't say a lot but when they do talk everybody kind of sits up and pays attention because it's often very impactful um the peacemaker is the person in the group who will kind of bring any members who may be experiencing any tension together to try to hash it out and then the firecracker is often the person in the group who will kind of call out the elephant in the room but they might not always be super tactful in doing that. And so the idea is that all of these roles are important in a group, right? So it's not a hierarchy as, you know, as if like the leader is better than anybody else. It really is just about like, how are you showing up in your group? And if you actually enjoy that. So if we think about like the leader, for example, what often happens is they, of course, are the one who kind of is organizing everything. Like if the group is taking a trip, they're putting down the deposit and you're supposed to pay them back and all of those things, because that is often where their strengths lie. But what often happens is that they can be become resentful that they are always thrust into this role of kind of being the responsible one in the group. And so this idea, the why I really wanted people to kind of take a quiz, so you can actually take a quiz to find out what your type is. Um, so if you go to sisterhoodheels.com slash quiz, you can find out what role you play in your circle. But what, what I really wanted people to do is to kind of get in their groups and get in the group chat or in your next uh, girls day and talk about like, how are we showing up for one another? And is there something else we can be doing to support one another in better ways so if the leader is not feeling like they want to lead anymore is there a way somebody else can kind of step up hmm. we're talking with dr joy your book is sisterhood heals the transformative power of healing community and we'll have more after the break stay with us Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've been talking this hour about the benefits of healing in a group and the healing power of sisterhood, especially for Black women. We're talking about what makes a good group dynamic, one that promotes breakthroughs or healing. And Dr. Joy's new book is Sisterhood Heals, The Transformative Power of Healing and Community. If you've participated in group therapy and want to share what helped you and what didn't, feel free to give us a call at 866-733-6786. Or if you've Listen to Therapy for Black Girls or a therapist yourself and what Dr. Joy has to say resonates with you. Uh, feel free to share why. Maybe you've had trouble finding or maintaining what Dr. Joy describes as sister friendships and you'd like some advice. The email address, forum at kqed.org. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram threads is where you can find us at KQED Forum. And let me go next to Rain in Berkeley. Hi, Rain. You're on. Hello. Good morning to you. I, I love this conversation. Um, we were just having this conversation with my sister circle about, you know, you know, kind of just being there for each other and also getting, you know, not so much of an um, inclusive perspective. You have all of these sisters, you know, my group is uh, 10 sisters strong. So everybody has an opinion. And once you get, you know, lost out there as professional women. And they're like, okay, well, let's reel her back in and say, and we're able to say, Hey, we don't like how you're moving. This is what you should be doing. And we're and all of us are able to accept it because we know that there's love along with getting an outside opinion because your sisters love you so much. Yeah. Um, getting an outside p- opinion, meaning seeking professional help therapy and saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And that therapist is saying, I'm sorry, the train is going by. Um, (laughs) The therapist is giving you a whole nother perspective because she's she's not vested, as vested in you as your sisterhood is. But I know as professional women, sometimes we don't like to look weak. We don't like to say what's going on in our personal lives. We'll share what's going on in the professional lives. But as far as our personal lives, we want to make it look all good and to have (laughs) a sisterhood that says a lot of times this marriage ain't all good. You know what I mean? This life is not all good. And professionally, I'm not happy where, even though you, it looks good on the outside being a VP or whatever, it doesn't, I'm still not good. Mm -hmm. And though that my sisterhood is so tight and we don't like other people coming in, you know, and I'm one to say, Oh, let's invite this person. It was like, no, we've been doing each other for about 20 years. That's good. We don't need any newcomers, but I'm saying that that kind of uh, deprives you of new experiences and new outlooks when you mm. when you're like that. So I'm the one that's always reaching out and say, "Hey, we got a new sister here." But I've tried group therapy and I've tried single therapy, and I like the combination of both. I really like my single therapy so I can get out what I need to say, and they can really respond, especially for somebody a therapist who's not pulling any punches. Well, Rain, thank you so much for calling. There is, there are so many wonderful threads that Rain, I think, is bringing up, Dr. Joy. Um, and I pulled out a couple, but I'm wondering what you, you've pulled out of what Rain was just saying. 
<laughs> I agree, Mina. It feels like there are so many different ways we could follow up with Rain's conversation. Um, but I really appreciate you calling in with your commentary. So the one, the place I think I will start is, you know, this idea that often Black women, because we have been socialized to be so tough and so strong, it can be really hard for us to seem weak, quote unquote, by saying I need help or that things actually aren't great in my life. And as Rain was talking about, it really is our sisters who kind of know us well enough to know like, eh, she says she's okay, but I don't actually trust that. And let me push a little further, right? Because sometimes it can be a little difficult for us to take off that armor and really let people see the the truth of the situation. So I really appreciated that she shared that. Um, it's so funny because she talked about she is the one who is often bringing in new people to the circle. Yeah. So in the, in the book, I talk about how this can be a very difficult situation <laughs> yeah. for groups <laughs> because a lot of people don't like this idea of like a newcomer in the group, right? Even though they may be a great addition, I think it is all about how you talk about it, right? So, you know, you don't want to just, if, if your girls are thinking we're going to have a Friday night in with just us and then you show up with this brand new person, that's probably not going to go over well. But if you can talk with them about it beforehand and say, hey, there's this new person at work and I think she would really, you know, enjoy our company and, you know, she's new to town, whatever it is, and give them some time to work, to warm up to the situation, that probably goes a lot better than just, you know, surprise the group with her on that Friday night. Well, Rain, thank you so much for bringing those elements into this conversation. Let me go next to Lou in Dublin. Hi, Lou. Thanks for calling. Join us. Oh, hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. <laughs> oh, I'm just calling in because um, I lost my daughter and I went to a, a, oh. a group, a, a, you know, therapy where it was just strictly parents that lost children. But, like, when I walked into the session, the the grief was, like, so strong. It was, like, you know, just in the air that I, did, I didn't go back. But I did go to another um, grief, a group that had, like, everybody had, like, different circumstances. So I was able to, you know, stay in that group. And then plus I did individual therapy. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, well, Lou, I'm so sorry. For, for the loss of your daughter and just sort of hearing Lou describe initially the one that was very specific to Lou's experience um, of other parents who lost children almost being like too much, right? Um, right. How do you gauge that, Dr. Joy? Like, is there a certain, I don't know, being being ready for certain experiences or just sort of how do you navigate that? Mm -hmm. Lou, I really appreciate your commentary as well. And I'm also really sorry for the loss of your daughter. And I think it is really important for us when we go into therapeutic situations and frankly, any other situation to know ourselves enough to know what is going to be a good fit for us, right? And so what you're talking about, Mina, is this idea that, you know, I want to get help, but maybe this feels too difficult. And I can see why it would be, right? Like maybe you want to be in a, gr a group of people who understand grief, but a group of other people who all have the very same story, I could understand why that would be very heavy um, and be too difficult, especially if like the loss is very recent. And so I'm really glad that you didn't give up, Lou, and really proceeded with finding another group that maybe was a better fit for you, a, a space where you felt like, okay, this isn't as heavy and I can still get my needs met. And I do think that that is something that we can all pay attention to is that, you know, you do want to give yourself a little bit of time to warm up to a group, just because like I said, it can be a little awkward to 
to be in a group of strangers, but do give yourself enough time to warm up. And then if it doesn't feel like it's a good fit for whatever reason, it's also okay for you to say, this doesn't feel good. And I feel like I need to find something else. And I would encourage you to talk with the group leader about that, maybe not in the group, but in a separate meeting or, you know, to try to arrange a call with them um, so that they can maybe help you to get connected with a space that's going to be a better fit for you. You you might have a similar answer for Sally, who writes, do you have any suggestions on how to find group therapy and how to judge if a group is well-functioning and or if the therapist is a skilled one? So is there anything that you would add for Sally, Dr. Joy? Mm-hmm. So, you know, most therapists have websites or directory profiles where they will talk about what their work looks like. And so I would encourage you to do your research in terms of paying attention to like, is this somebody who runs a lot of groups? Because typically, you know, especially if they've been running groups for some time, they are likely a very skilled group leader. And so that may be a good sign for you. But also, I think it's okay to like get referrals. So if there are people you work with or friends who have had good experiences with groups, if they are willing to give you a referral to their therapist, then that is also maybe a great way for you to find a therapist, you know, who facilitates a group that would work for you. But some of it will just really be trial and error, unfortunately, because I know that can be difficult, like this idea that you open up to this space and then, you know, you realize, okay, this isn't for me. But so much of what makes therapy successful, both group and individual, is really about the relationship you have with the therapist or with the group. And so sometimes that just means that you're going to have to try a couple different ones to find the one that is really going to be a great fit for you. Well, Melinda writes, I'm binge watching the TV show Insecure. You can see the group therapy of the four friends and Molly not opening up and one-on-one therapy. I know that Insecure was a big topic on the therapy for black girls. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about why it was so galvanizing for people, uh, for your community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you saw the way media. I <laughs> you saw the way I lit up when you talked about Insecure because it's one of my favorite shows, yeah. uh, one of the community's favorite shows. And as you know, this writer is writing in. Um, and I think what what felt most impactful is that the characters felt so real. And I also felt like. It was one of the or one of the few cases where we really saw a focus on the women's relationships with one another. So often, like when we have groups of friends portrayed on TV or in film, it is about like romantic love and like career stuff. But I feel like there was like a, a intense focus on the relationships the women in Insecure had with one another, which I think was just a breath of fresh air and something a lot of us really were craving. Um, and so I really appreciated the way that Issa. Um, display the characters there and really gave us lots to talk about and lots to reflect on in terms of our own relationships with our sister friends. Yeah. I mean, the falling out between Issa and Molly. And then, I mean, you talk about, I think you describe it as quite possibly the worst heartbreak. And that is when a sisterhood ends. Um, I mean, not that it did completely for them, but we don't want to get too much away if if Melinda's been binge watching it. But, but, but how, what do you say to clients who are experiencing a friend breakup? And why do you say it is, see it as quite possibly the worst heartbreak? Yeah, it, it really is difficult. And in more of my conversations with people who are reading the book or have read the book or just generally in the Therapy for Black Girls community, there is this sense that 
friendship breakups are really, really painful in a way. I think that romantic relationships don't always feel the same. And what I often think happens is that with our friendships, we have often created these entire worlds with one another. Like we sometimes have like an inner language and they know like our pain points and have seen us through likely lots of different things. And so when that ends, that whole world ceases to exist. And so I think it can be really, really painful. And on top of that, we don't give the same credit and credence, I think, to friendship breakups that we do to romantic relationship breakups or losses in other ways. And so what often happens when somebody is grieving a friendship is that they are experiencing what we talk about as disenfranchised grief. And what that means is that you are grieving, but not in a way that like society recognizes, right? So we know that there are all these rituals with like the loss of a loved one and there's a funeral and a repast and all of those things. Like there is credence given to that loss. But with something like a friendship breakup, people feel like, oh, you have plenty of other friends. You'll be fine or just go make new friends. And it's not really giving weight to the loss that this is in other people's lives. And so I think for those reasons, primarily, is why friendship breakups can be really painful and difficult. Psychologist and host and founder of Therapy for Black Girls is with us, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Craig in San Rafael. Hi, Craig. Join us. Hi. I really appreciate this segment. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Joy. And I'm a first-time caller to the show. I often uh, listen. And especially what you just said about uh, friendship uh, breakup. I have been very active in progressive politics. And in the past several years, many years, I've seen gradual breakup of the progressive community where, uh, where I was a big part. And my question, when I first heard you speaking earlier, it um, has to do with the application of some of the principles of group therapy to larger groups. You know, we live in a time when there's a tremendous polarization and disintegration of, um, of our society. And just wondering if you have any thoughts or visions about how some of these principles might be applied to larger groups, especially political groups. Mm. And, and also, but, you know, like the, the partisan divide, how do we bring together in a time when there's so much um, disagreement? How do we how can we come together in, in a more therapeutic, healing way? Well, Craig, thanks for calling. Um, and Dr. Joy, thoughts for Craig? Yeah, I love, Craig, that you are a first-time caller and that you felt inspired to call in right now. I appreciate your your comments and your questions. And I think that, you know, part of the reason why I wrote the book is that I wanted people to understand that these principles related to group therapy often show up in other groups in our lives. And so how can we be more sensitive and attuned to the dynamics that are at play in a group and how can we use those things for the better? Um, And so when we think about, you know, something like, you know, the, the 
dissension in political parties and all of those kinds of things. What it makes me think of is this attempt and this real desire for people to be seen and heard. And I think that is often what is missing is that we are often talking past one another as opposed to kind of getting on an eye level with one another and saying, let me hear what it is that you're saying. And then you also taking the opportunity to hear what the other person is saying. Um, now that that does have its limits, right? Because I think in questions of like my humanity and our different values, there are some things that feel non-negotiable. But I do think that at a, at a very basic level, we could be doing a better job of making sure that we are creating spaces where people can truly be seen and heard in our groups and organizations. Well, again, thanks, Craig. And let me go to Erin and Wildemar. Hi, Erin, you're on. Hi, I'm Erin. I'm a first-time caller also, and I'm honored to be a part of this. Thank you. Thank you so much for this incredible topic. Um, I have been um, facilitating circles for a few years now. I've worked in the drug and alcohol um, space, both in treatment facilities and also in uh, in community uh, 12-step groups. And I just am very much a believer in the concept of circles and um, uh and recently, I have taken sort of an, a, a real interest, and in, I'm actually taking a master's program uh, for restorative practices. Like It's been known as restorative justice or restorative practices, and it's absolutely fascinating. I'm seven weeks into my master's program right now, and there are um, the concept of restorative practices is, is basically to, um, to take conflict or when, when there's been a harm, and to really facilitate um, the breakdown of that, keeping all parties included and working individually with them if it's too hot of a topic or an issue until they can come together in a circle and really hear uh, how the harm has impacted them, both offender and victim, and yeah. also the community as well. And well, this is very, very painful. I'm so glad you found something so powerful and that you're so passionate about, Erin, and, and good luck with that. I, your program sounds sounds really cool. I, I just wanted to ask you one last question, Dr. Joy, um, in the 30 seconds or so that we have left. But, you know, I, I know you host a podcast, and I know you've put a lot of what you've learned and observed out there, but what was it like for you to put it into a book? Ooh, Mina, this is like a hard question for 30 seconds. <laughs> Take 40. <laughs> you know, I, I was really concerned, honestly, if the warmth and care that I feel like I can deliver pretty easily with my voice would translate to the page. Mm. Um, and so it has been so affirming and heartwarming for readers to tell me that they do feel like it translated because um, I wasn't sure. You know, I'm not typically a tough love kind of person, and I felt like maybe some of it would read that way. Um, but I have just been thrilled to to know that people do feel, feel the sense of care um, and concern I have for them and for our community on the page. Yeah, it's it's a it's different, isn't it? Like putting yourself yes. into a book. <laughs> it is. And sharing what you know, but I'm so glad you did. The book is Sisterhood Heals, The Transformative Power of Healing in Community. And I'm so glad you joined us today, Dr. Joy. Thank you, Mina. It was a pleasure. Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, my thanks to our listeners for sharing your experiences and questions. My thanks to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.